0: It's the context that'll help us to see what God's meaning is clearly as we interpret. Welcome to Working With The Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for a deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear.
1: And I'm Emerson Brown.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the fourth episode of Working With The Word. Today, we're talking about opening our minds. What does that have to do with Bible study? It means that we're talking about interpretation, trying to find God's
1: meaning in the text after we've opened our eyes to see what the text has to say. So we're talking about three steps in Bible study, observation, interpretation, and application. The first step that we covered last week was observation, which is just opening your eyes to see what the text says but now you've done your observation. Maybe you've read it several times. You've gotten out your notebook. You've made some notes. Maybe you've even made an outline. You're ready to move on to step two, interpretation. So in this episode, we're talking about opening your mind to see what the text says. Before we do that, though, just want to ask a question. How do we make that transition from observation to interpretation? And how do you know that you're ready to move on? That's such an important distinction
0: to make and to to not just be an observation for forever. We used the illustration last time of how a crime scene investigator would be doing poorly at his job if he made assumptions, if he interpreted or even convicted the evidence before he really had observed everything. So somewhat moving with that illustration some more, think about the crime scene investigator collected the info and observation. When we've collected all the evidence, collected the information, we move into the lab finally, and now there's going to be some type of lab detective who's using that information, that evidence, to draw the conclusions, to interpret what happened at this crime scene, what went on, so that you know eventually a conviction can be applied or you know innocence could be applied, whatever we need to be. Done. If we think about that illustration, that might help us to see moving from we've got the evidence to
1: now let's see what the evidence says. One example that I think helps me is uh, I like to grill. And so we think about marinating the meat and you get it in the spices, you let it sit in the fridge for a day or two. Uh, The meat has marinated long enough now. Now it's time to throw it on the grill. The point of observation is not to see everything that you'll ever see that's there, Uh, because next time you come back, you'll probably see more. But the idea here is just to marinate in the text and to immerse yourself enough to say, I think I've got a handle on the contents and what it says. Now let's look at the context to find God's meaning in the text. That's right. So let's talk about interpretation
0: and trying to define that. And let's start with maybe a real-life example. When we interpret in our own relationships or in our lives today, you think about maybe just a simple definition of interpretation is this idea that when two people are having a conversation or two or more people are having a conversation There's some type of context for them to understand what's going on and to take what's being said and to make connections. My wife and I, when we are either in our personal conversations or sometimes even in our text message, we talk about Gary a lot. You know, let's say 100 years from now in 2120, somebody's able to get a hold of Becca and I's phone text message conversations. And they're going to see things like Gary was making lots of noise across the street today or I saw Gary as I was coming home. Okay, you know, why are they talking about Gary so much? They're gonna see something like, Gary is trying to eat the neighbor's fence. And so in that circumstance, <laughs> someone's gonna read that and say, wait, what? Who is this Gary guy? <laughs> and why is he eating people's fences? And why are they talking about Gary so much? They'll need to understand that. Okay, the, the historical context is that, you know, Jeff and Becker were living in Midland, so Gary is somebody who's in Midland around the time of 2018 to 2020 is somebody who must have lived in proximity to them and somebody that they knew. But once you realize that Gary is our neighbor's macaw from across the street that we have nicknamed and then talk about all the time, that makes a lot more sense to see that these are perfectly normal statements. But if you just walked into Becca and I talking about Gary and you heard about you know, him making a ruckus and eating people's fences, you might be confused about why is some guy eating fences in their neighborhood. But, interpretation and good interpretation sees, okay, there's a context,
1: and I know how that works. So context is really just providing additional information that helps enlighten what's going on. Exactly. That's right.
0: So let's think about that with Bible study. Well, let's begin by talking about what interpretation is not in Bible study. Sometimes that's helpful to look at what this isn't to understand what something is. In Bible study, interpretation is not, well, Jeff says it's this, and then Emerson says it's that, and then the other Bible student says it's something else, right? That's not what interpretation is. is not everybody making their own meaning in the text. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, I feel this about the passage. I feel this passage says this. When we're talking about interpretation, remember, interpretation is answering the question, what does the text mean? And really, as we are thinking about answering that question, interpretation is about finding God's meaning in the text, not making sure that we fit our own meaning into the text. So like we've already mentioned, we've been talking about this word context. It's the context that'll help us to see what God's meaning is clearly as we interpret.
1: It's helpful to have a a good definition of context, and there's a lot of ways you probably could define it, but one that works well for me is just defining context as everything that surrounds the text. So it's the situation, the circumstances in which this Bible passage appears or which this conversation appears. You know, the context is Gary. Gary is a macaw, not a human being. (laughs) And the reality is that the Bible was written in a context. And we tend to forget that sometimes Yes, God's word is timeless truth, but God communicated that timeless truth within a specific time frame, and he used specific languages and circumstances. And so we need to realize that the Bible was not written to us directly. We are not the original audience, but it was written for us. So us 21st century readers, we're not the primary audience. The goal is to find the principles and the truth that was written to the original audience that apply to us today. Here's an example of how context affects communication. So when FDR gave his inaugural speech in 1933, he gave this famous quotation, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. That wasn't addressed to us today, but it was addressed to America in the height of the Great Depression. You know, the audience there was afraid of losing their jobs. Maybe they had already lost their jobs. They lost their savings or they're worried about the economy. And so that was the original context. But think about how it does apply to us in America 2020. I mean, the pandemic that we're going through now, surely the, the principle applies. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. But that's because the principle applies. And so when we, when we come to the Bible, really the idea is about finding the principles that apply timelessly uh, and are relevant to us today. And it can be
0: that people will try to take Bible passages and make them apply to us rather than looking at them in their context sometimes we we'll refer to that as taking a passage out of context here's kind of a silly example it's been a couple of years when I, since i first saw it but every couple of months i think i see this meme pop up in either facebook or instagram and there's this picture of a bible a bible verse a day calendar and it's got you know this flowery border and you know cute little type to to put the scriptures in and so it says in Luke chapter 4 and verse 7, if thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. You think about that and think, well, that's a nice statement. Of, you know, if I worship Jesus, then you know, God is going to bless me. But then when you go and you look up who said that in Luke chapter 4 and verse 7, all mm-hmm. of a sudden the flowery border is not as comforting anymore <laughs> because you realize that Satan is saying that there to tempt Jesus. So asking those type of questions of the who, what, when, where, why, how, those journalist questions, or the five W's and an H, those help us to see that this meme is much less inspirational if you know who said it. That helps us to see the greater danger of taking things out of context. Taking the word of God out of context is a very dangerous thing to do because it misrepresents God. Now, I'm surely if someone knew who said that, they would quickly agree that, yes, we don't want to worship Satan and fall down before him. And understand that Satan said that in a very specific context even then. But understand the danger of ignoring the context or removing the context from the Scriptures.
1: There's a common saying that is helpful here, that a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. And we don't want to be guilty of misusing Scripture. We want to be faithful workers with the Word. Not only is it helpful to have a definition of context, but also, you know, what does that mean? Context is a word that's thrown around a lot. What does it mean? Well, I think there's really two ways we can look at context that it's helpful to be familiar with. First of all, there's a context within the Bible itself, meaning that if you're looking at a text, then that text exists within a paragraph, and that exists within a section or a larger chapter, and that exists within the entire book. And that exists within the genre of literature in which it was written, whether it's a letter or whether it's a historical book like the book of Acts or if it's a book of apocalyptic literature like Revelation. The way you interpret that section is going to be based on what that literature looks like and how it was intended to be taken. And then there's the even greater context within the Bible of the whole Bible. So if you take one passage... And your conclusion about that passage is that it contradicts another passage, then something's wrong. The Bible is consistent, so our conclusion has to be consistent with all of those levels within the context. And then there's the context outside of the Bible text itself. This is sometimes what we call the background of the Bible. There's the historical context, which are the events that were happening at the time, like when Jesus was born. The Roman Caesar was authorizing a census to be taken of all his people. So that's the historical context. Then there's the cultural context, which are the customs and the practices that the people followed at the time. Like when Jesus sat down with his disciples to institute the Lord's Supper, he was instituting that within the context of the Passover meal. And there were four cups that were passed around. Uh, during that meal. They had these bitter herbs that they ate as a memorial of their bitter suffering in Egypt. They ate unleavened bread, and which was, of course, carried over into the Lord's Supper. And all of this was about the theme of deliverance, how God would redeem his people. And so in that context, understanding the context of the Lord's Supper... And the Passover helps us appreciate the deliverance that we have in Jesus better. And so those are the, the levels of context we have to look at. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be an expert on context to understand the Bible. But the point is that in our, this interpretation step, we must seek to understand that context as best we can rather than, like we were talking about, cutting things out of context and inserting our own meaning. We're trying to find God's meaning in that context. And there can obviously be some
0: difficulties with interpretation then, whether it be trying to answer the question of what does this mean for me? Remember, that's not interpretation, that's application type of stuff. But sometimes we try to count that as interpretation. Or maybe we just do things in interpretation that make it much more difficult to find that true or good interpretation. So we talked a second ago about Maybe contradicting scripture or using one scripture kind of be the focus for how we interpret the whole rest of scripture. Rather than using the whole scripture to interpret each passage, maybe sometimes we base an entire doctrine on just one passage and then making the rest of scripture filter through that one passage. An example would be something like Revelation chapter 20. In verses 2 and 3, it says, And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was of the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Now, this goes on. There's references to the thousand years down through, if we include the whole section throughout verse 10. But this one section, does this merit an entire theology of uh, premillennialism being filtered through which we read the entire rest of the Bible? we make the entire Bible NASA fit through premillennialistic ideas, or should the context of what John records here, and the context of Revelation as a whole, and the Bible as a whole, serve as different levels of filters through which we examine this particular passage in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 10? Now, there might be some of our listeners who might have questions about that. There might be a section we need to go back and, and think about, whether it's this doctrine or other doctrines. But are we taking one or two passages and making the rest of the Bible fit into those? Or are we seeing how those fit into the rest of the Bible? There's also the idea of using our culture to interpret the Bible rather than the culture of the original audience. We talked about a second ago how the Bible is written not to us, but for us. We can maybe see that in something like the book of Leviticus. There are laws in the book of Leviticus that if we ask the question of what does this mean to me and think about how do I need to apply this to my life, we're missing the point that Leviticus is not written to you and to me. That is written to people who are under the law of Moses, people who are part of that covenant with God, which was for sometimes the saying is used to help us understand that for specific people, for a specific time, for a specific purpose. And as you think about that, there are things in Leviticus that yes, you and I will understand and relate to. God talks about how the book of Leviticus helps people to see how they're going to be holy before him. And that's very important It helps people to see how they're supposed to treat one another. We see laws about how we love one another or how we're supposed to abstain from sexual immorality. But there are laws about sacrifices, like ripping off the heads of birds to (laughs) atone for some sin or to bring as an offering to God, that if I ask questions like, what does this mean for me? And I'm filtering this discussion of Leviticus and the offerings through my understanding as someone who lives in 21st century America,
1: I'm going to be confused doesn't mean that you rip off Gary's head.
0: That's right. mean <laughs> that no matter how much I want to it doesn't mean I should probably rip <laughs> off my neighbor's bird's head. But we have to understand that as we interpret, we want to use the culture of the original audience, not our culture, understand what does the text say. Or really what is God's
1: meaning through this particular text. And this really highlights one of the biggest challenges we have when we study the Bible is this idea of presuppositions. A presupposition is an idea that we bring to the text, or an assumption that we have. And the real challenge is, how do we study the Bible without just reading our meaning into the text? And it's very easy to do, and it happens all the time. Um, Christians have that problem. Unbelievers have that problem. So easy to do. And so here's a section where we need to get out a rib pin, and we need to really reevaluate the way that we look at Scripture and highlight those kinds of things. So, When we deal with presuppositions, I think there are really three things we need to do. First of all, we need to admit that we have them. Uh, We all have to be honest. You have a presupposition when you come to the Bible, whether you like it or not. Um, You have an upbringing, experiences, you have previous study or teachings that you've heard. Maybe you've heard sermons on this text. And so when you come to a passage, you always bring those things. And that's okay. Okay. The point is, you cannot fully separate yourself from these 100%, so you need to admit that you have them. Second of all, you need to actually sit down and identify what those presuppositions are. What are my experiences, or my upbringing, or the previous teachings or studies that I've had that will affect my interpretation? And here's a helpful hint. One thing that I've found helpful is to actually write down, when you come to a passage, write down what you think it means before you really start studying it. And write it in red pen and then set it aside. And doing that is kind of a symbolic step of saying, I'm making an effort here to look at it as if I'm looking at this passage for the first time. And that leads us to our third step. Once you have done your study, you can reevaluate your presuppositions. So circle back to what you wrote in red pen and look at your conclusions. Did they change or did they stay the same? Uh, That's where you can reevaluate yourself. And the point here is not to recklessly challenge or throw out our presuppositions or what we've learned up to this point, but just to recognize our presuppositions in a careful attempt to be objective. So we need to realize we all have these presuppositions, and they are one of our biggest challenges to good interpretation.
0: Yeah, and it can be challenging to us to maybe sometimes say, you know, we'll talk about or we've mentioned earlier, we want to use the Bible in its context. We may sometimes try to substitute our presuppositions for the context. We might say something like, keep mm-hmm. the Bible in its context. But what we might actually mean by that is I'm trying to say what the Bible means to me or how I understand the Bible, how I've always understood the Bible. And that's such, such a helpful point, what you bring about identifying those beforehand and then checking them again, seeing, you know, am I still coming to the same conclusions as I'm trying to do my best objective study of the text after the observation, or are those things type of the changing? So just helpful to, to remember that and to know that for sure.
1: Here's an important clarification based on, you know, what you just said there. It's true that we will never be 100% objective. That's right. Because of our presuppositions. But that does not mean that the meaning of the text is subjective, So the meaning of the text is always going to be objective. So sometimes we hear people say, interpretation is so subjective. It's just how you feel or what you bring to the text. No, that's not really what it is at all. Yes, sometimes we get into Bible studies or small groups or even just personal conversations about the Bible where the majority of the conversation is about my opinion and my interpretation is this. And if that's the case, yes, then it is subjective. But we come back to the text of Scripture, the meaning that the Spirit and God himself had in mind when he inspired men to write is not subjective. It is always objective. God has a meaning in mind, and it's our job to try to uncover and find that meaning as best we can. And as we think about interpretation
0: and how that's used in our life, I think it'd be helpful for us to look at examples in the Scripture, right? So how do we Mm -hmm. see interpretation being used in the Bible? Sometimes people might back up that statement of interpretation is something to be avoided. Again, this idea that interpretation in Bible study is kind of a dirty word. Whether because we're so familiar with people will talk about that's my interpretation or my opinion in our small groups or in our Bible studies or in maybe of our own personal studies. We come up with we use those phrases a lot. Sometimes people will use 2 Peter 1:19 through 21 to back up that idea. Here's what that says. Peter writes, "Above all, know this: No prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man, instead men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit." Anderson, what are we talking about with interpretation there? What's the, let's point to see about what Peter's saying about interpretation and the danger of one's own interpretation.
1: Yeah, I think what Peter's saying in this passage is not that we never interpret Scripture. If you look at what he's saying in these two verses together, he's talking about the origin of Scripture, where it comes from. He says, no prophecy ever came by the will of man, but rather it comes from God. So the point of this passage is that it's from God. Uh, and so because it's from God we need to respect it as it is and of course that means that we need to handle it accurately we we don't handle it as if it's just a subjective text but it doesn't mean that we don't interpret because we actually see examples of people in the bible handling god's word as if it's from god and handling it respectfully and accurately while they're interpreting scripture so you know this word interpret can be used in a lot of different ways, and it's hijacked sometimes to say that it is always subjective, but it's not. The idea of interpretation really is just explaining. So an example of that is in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. The priests are gathered together. They've gathered all the remnant that came back from exile together, and it says that they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. And here they are. What they're doing is they're reading scripture, but then they're explaining it. They're making the meaning clear, and that's really what interpretation is. It's not reading your own ideas into it, which we can do, or we can be careful not to. But the idea of interpretation is just explaining it to make the meaning clear. And it's not just we see,
0: you know, Nehemiah and Ezra doing this, but even Jesus himself interpreted the scriptures in Luke chapter twenty-four, verse forty-seven. It says, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus interpreted what was said about everything that he would fulfill from the law, the prophets, the Psalms, to these men on the road to Emmaus. And as he did that, he took, you know, here's what Moses said, here's what he's talking about, he's talking, you know, there's this thing about the serpent needs to be lifted up. Jesus makes a connection about that to himself. He takes these passages and helps people to see that they relate and they fulfill to him. You see that that's not Jesus, you know, forcing a meaning on that. That's Jesus who is taking scripture and how he is drawing out God's meaning for some of these things. So we see how interpretation is something that, like you said, is explaining the text, finding out what it
1: means. And that really boils down to the fundamental point of our episode, is that interpretation is about finding God's meaning in the text, not trying to fit our own into the text.
0: So as we wrap up this week, here's our challenge. Again, we want to try to encourage you to use your sermon from this past Sunday or whatever the most recent sermon you listened to was. We want you to do the work of interpretation, to look at the text as you're going to review it, and maybe ask those questions. What are the historical big picture, literary type of context. Think about those different levels we mentioned earlier, or this idea about, you know, this uh, the scriptures filling out, or the context fills out through those different uh, layers of whether it be the chapter, or the whole book, or the whole Bible, or maybe even doing something like what we talk about with our presuppositions. Maybe you're talking about a passage you're familiar with. Maybe you're talking from the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Write down what do you think this passage means, and then go and do the work of saying, well, what is God's meaning in this text as I've done some observation. You'll have to do some of that before you get interpretation, obviously. But do that and seek not to see how you can make your own meaning or presupposition fit into the text. But again, seek what God's meaning is. Thank you for tuning into Working with the Word today. Next week, we move into the most important part of inductive study method, the application section. Finally, after we've done careful observation and proper interpretation, we have to make real life application but until then keep your eyes and your mind open while you observe and interpret the context of scripture to find God's meaning in what he says For more about working with the word you can find us and reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at working with the word on Instagram at working with the or if you have any comments or questions feel free to send us an email to working with the word podcast at gmail.com that's all one word.
1: Working with the word podcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity.